Let's get after it. If you guys uh, are brand new or you're joining us online for the first time, we have been, uh, last week we started the book of Ephesians. And so I'm going to ask that you turn and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we're going to be here today. Now, as I began to think about Move 2032 and think about this huge vision that God has laid before us, yes, um, we, it's more than just a vision statement that God is calling us into. If all you think that a vision is just a vision statement, then, then you're missing it. It's more than just being a people of prayer, living out God's word, loving Jesus with all we are while sharing Jesus with all we have. It's actually resetting our sights. It's putting our eyes on the way God wants to move, in the direction that God wants to move. And that's what 2032 is all about. But I, I couldn't help, as I was praying and as I was thinking about where God wanted to go in Ephesians chapter 1, he brought me to a verse. And I want to put it up here. It's actually, uh, I loved how the ESV kind of, um, kind of wrote it. And I'm going to put it up here. It's, it's John 10.10. Many of you may know it by heart. But I wanted to read this second part because this is something that I've wrestled with in my life. And some of you may even be wrestling with it even this morning or those that are online. Uh, this is what Jesus said. It says, I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I, I love that word abundantly. We look at that, and some of us have maybe in our Christian life have kind of gone, yeah, I, I like that word abundantly. Yeah, so meaning, and what that, what, if you look at the Greek, it actually means super abundant, like full of. So there's a super abundance. So Jesus says, I came that they may have life. Now, I guess if we, many of us, I think, put a, put a period at the end of that. I came that I might have life. I've got Jesus. I've got my get out of hell free card. I've got the, the gospel is made real to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came that I may have life. Yes. And we're praising him for that. But then we live out the rest of our lives thinking that's the end of the sentence. We spend all the rest of our lives, we spin our wheels kind of going, thanks Jesus for the work that you did. Now I'll go live out the rest of my life, how I need to live it with all the struggles, all the bumps, all the bruises, and I never get here. Like I like that word abundant. I like that word, abund that idea of abundant life. But what does that mean? It means that Jesus came not just to give you life, but to actually bring you to even more. So when you think about Jesus, when you think about Christianity, it's not I've come to just give you eternal life. Yes, that awaits us for those that put their faith, their hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. If you remember last week, we talked about what that means when when we come into Christ, meaning we're no longer in the world, but we are now in Christ, we've put our faith, our hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, our identity is this. We are children of the Father, and there's blessing that comes from that, as, as we learned last week. It means we've been redeemed, restored we, uh, by the Son. We have been forgiven. The power of sin is broken in our lives. and We've been marked by the Spirit, meaning that's the, the Holy Spirit is that, is that engagement, that spiritual engagement ring that God gives to everyone that 
comes to know him and are in Christ. But here's the problem. Here's where we end up, I think, missing out. And I think this is where Paul is going. Paul, as well as John, is saying, oh, there's so much more. And you don't have to wait for eternity to get it. You can actually begin to experience abundant life right now. In this moment, in 2021, you don't have to wait for when I offer my last breath, of course I'll be in heaven and that'll be done and, and I'll no, have no longer any pain and I'll be eternity with Jesus. Yes, and that is a glorious reunion that we all can look forward to. But imagine if we started living as if we're saved now, not then. Imagine if we start understanding this relationship that God beckons us into. And so Paul, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter one, when we kind of talked about what it meant to be in Christ, he then kind of ends out chapter one with a prayer. A prayer for you, a prayer for me. And it really is this invitation of going, oh, don't stay there. Oh, don't stay there. There's so much more. There's something so much more rich, something so much more beautiful, something so much more deeper than just these early recesses of the gospel. Don't hang out at the mere threshold of the gospel. Come in, come into deeper, deeper waters. I, it makes me think of when I, I remember when I was dating my wife, well, prior to her being my wife, and and I remember getting to know Michelle and, and Michelle getting to know me. And, and I'm looking at this woman and I'm going, there is so much more. I mean, yes, did, was she just unbelievable and just beautiful to me? Yes. And she still is. And she grows more beautiful to me every day, both inside and out in some incredible ways. Um, but, but as we walked through that engagement process and the ring was there and, and if, if, we got to the wedding day and we said, finally, it's here. But that was the, the climax of our entire relationship. That would be pretty, uh, pretty miserable. Like you, you get married, yay, we're married. Guess we'll just live together. But you, you laugh, but... If I never pursued relationship, if I didn't realize that there was so much more on the other side of the wedding day, as opposed to before, I would miss out on so much. I mean, I look at, I look at, my, I look at my wife and I'm like, man, there's so much more to her. Now, if I'm honest and we're talking about perspective, my wife looks at me and is like, well, there's got to be more, right? Okay. And most wives probably look at us husbands that same way. There's got to be something more, right? But the, here's the, we're both fighting. We're both longing for something more. We're both wanting something more. There's, there's more, there's deeper waters of relationship. There's more there. And this is where Paul is going in the second chapter or the second part of chapter one. And he brings us down this prayer that's offered to you and to me. So look at Ephesians chapter one. If you don't have it, it's gonna be up here on the screen as we follow along, starting in verse 15 to verse 23. This is what Paul says. It says, ever since 
I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 22, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Heavenly Father, we invite you to be in this place. Holy Spirit, would it not be man's voice that's heard? Would it not be man's voice that's heard? Would it be yours? Would we see your face? God, would you move us from where we are to where you are? Lord Jesus, would we walk away different? Would we walk away changed, never wanting to be the same? Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 15, Paul moves from kind of talking about this identity of what it means that, uh, that, that we've been invited into that for those that are in Christ and by his grace alone. And he goes into this prayer and he starts out the prayer identifying what he just talked about in, in, verse, in verses one through 14. And he says, look, ever since I first heard about your strong faith. Now remember, Paul is writing to believers, people that are in Christ at the church of Ephesus. And he's saying, look, I, I first heard about your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people. And you know what? I have not stopped thanking God for you. So he's going, man, you, your loyalty, your grounding in the fact that you know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is savior of the world, that he transformed you. He is your hope, nothing else and you're constantly leaning into him. I thank God for you that you don't only just love him and that he loves you, but you are loving others as well. I mean, you are, you're doing it. I'm thanking God for you. You are redeemed by the son. You are children of the father. You're marked by the spirit. Yay. But then he goes on a little further than that. And he's not being cynical here, so, so don't take my clap as just being cynical, all right? He's actually saying, I'm thanking God for you, but I'm praying for something more. I, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father, 
He's, you see, he's saying, I, I see your faith. I'm thankful for what Christ has done in you. But let's, uh, let's talk life here. Let's talk real living. Let's talk about the other side of that transformative moment where Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart. See, the problem is, is we come in and all of a sudden we, we are at the door of transformation where Jesus Christ says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to transform you. We put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. We enter in to Christ through his work alone, on a finished work on the cross that he died, he buried, and he rose again. But here's where Paul is going. Too many of you just hang out in the doorway of the gospel your entire life. You just, you're like, this is great. I get Jesus at the end of life. I get heaven at the end of life. Yes, and Paul's going, yes, that's important. But don't you understand, don't get tied up in the early recesses. Don't get tied up in the, in just the entryway of the gospel. You know why? Because there's so much more living in the back of the house. There's so much, there's, see, you know what? Because if you're looking at it from the house, you know where real relation takes relationship takes place? It doesn't take place in the entryway. It doesn't take place at, on the doormat. It takes place when all of a sudden you hear God's voice and all of a sudden you kind of enter into that living room. You sit down on that couch or you go, you sit around the kitchen table and you look at each other eye to eye because that's where relationship begins to form. See, I think we get so accustomed to being an acquaintance with Jesus, rather being in a relationship with Jesus, and we miss out on this abundant life that John's talking about. God goes, I, I, don't, I didn't save you just to be an acquaintance. I saved you to be your everything. I wanna be your everything. I wanna be the father to the fatherless. I wanna be, I wanna be the husband to the to the wife that's just broken and hurting. I wanna be, I wanna be your everything. And yet you get satisfied going, I got my get out of hell free card. I'm inside the door. And Jesus is kind of going, hey, hey, take, take, hey, take a chance. Take a step in. It's so much warmer in here. It's so much more real. This is where conversation moves into transformation. This is where it becomes that abundant living that, that John's talking about. See, the riches speak to this inheritance. And here's what's crazy. Uh, let me be very clear. There is nothing insufficient or incomplete that Jesus did on the cross. Meaning his work was final. There is nothing left necessary for him to do in order for you to not only be saved, but also have abundant life. But meaning, but, but this passage and this prayer that Paul's talking about here says that you're missing something in this relationship though. You're far away from what I originally, like it, it's kind of like when you come to know Christ, the Bible is very clear saying you're an infant. 
You are a baby. And as you know about newborn babies, you, you need help. You need help to, to walk. You need help to eat. You need help to grow. And as you know, in, in infancy, you know what? It's not always perfect. It comes out pretty messed up sometimes. You don't, you know, the baby, the toddler finally finds his way to the feet, his feet and, and he's kind of standing, you know, now, if he falls, we don't be, we're not like looking at him like, that's all you got? Huh? What's your problem? Okay. And we don't look at our, ch no, you know what we do? Yes. You took us, like, we're super excited. But we in the church, sometimes we kick, we kick our people when they're on the ground. Don't we? Like, all of a sudden, they take one step, they fall to the ground, and we're like, what's your problem? You laugh, but we do that when all of a sudden we should be the biggest cheerleaders. Come on, you can do it. You can take another step. You're not alone. Hey, come on. In fact, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. Come on, let's go. Let's do this together. You're not alone. And this is this invitation into more. And you have no idea the riches of the inheritance that we have. It's not we lack something, it's, the, it's just the fact that we don't know how, what we have available to us. There was a man by the name of Robert, Ryan, excuse me, Randolph Hearst. And Randolph was a newspaper editor. He was a very rich entrepreneur. He was a collector of, of incredible art and antiquities around the world. And he was known, world, he was world-renowned because of the, this particular collection. Well, one day, this piece of art got on his radar and he's like, I have got to have this, this one. I got, I got to have it. So he hires and he spends thousands upon thousands of dollars to hide, hire this investigative team to go hunt it down, search for it, and claim it for him. And so this team, they just scoured everywhere. They went around the world and almost a year passes until finally the lead investigator on this hunt for this, this particular piece of art comes in through the door and says, um, Mr. Hurst, we found we found your piece of art. And he's like, yes, thank you so much. Hey, do me, where did you find it? And he goes, we found it in one of your warehouses. See, Mr. Hurst didn't even realize the treasure he already had. He didn't realize the the, the valuable piece that he was looking for his for, for so long was already present in his life. And I think we do the same thing when it comes to who Christ is in our life, the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't understand the riches given by those that are in Christ. You have so much. Paul Paul begins to dive. He just begins to go there. He goes, I'm longing to see this relationship unlocked and transformed in your life so that you fully realize what it means to be in Christ. And so in verse 15, he starts with spirit matters. Spirit, the spirit matters. The Holy Spirit matters. But there are also spiritual matters that you and I need to understand. See, when we come to know Christ, in verse 15, he's very clear. He's like, look, I 
talking about it. But then verse 16, he goes, I have not stopped thanking God. Then he says, I pray constantly for you. Verse 17, he goes, I am asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Because it's not that you don't have it. I'm asking that you unlock it and realize what you already have. I am asking God to give, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Now, if you look at the Greek, it actually refers to not, the, not spiritual wisdom, but the spirit of wisdom. And here's what I know, that when you have a question about what is the spirit of wisdom, you can always go to the Bible and it'll tell you. And it tells us here in Isaiah chapter 11, exactly what the spirit of wisdom is. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two. It says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. It's, it's prophetic about Jesus here in this passage. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Remember when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist? Came down in the form of a dove and what? Rested on him. And then Isaiah defines this, this spirit. The spirit of the Lord is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the spirit of wisdom, what Paul is praying for, for you and for me, is the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, what we learned about last week is that when you come from being in the world to being in Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to you. This is, this is yours. You get, you get the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit in your life, the promise that everything I have will be yours. Problem is, is we don't yet realize who the Holy Spirit and what kind of role the Holy Spirit needs to play in your life and in mine. We have a throne room in our life. And Paul's going, you need to get off of your throne in your heart and let the Holy Spirit take control and the reins over in your life. In doing so, he will give you wisdom beyond your understanding. He will give you insight. And when you have those two things, guess what happens? You grow. You grow. He says, when you have the spirit of, of wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. See, what the Holy Spirit does is, is he comes in, we just forget that he's there. In fact, we ignore that he's there. He's like the elephant in the room sometimes, right? I don't want to do it. Who's that guy? All right, okay. You can talk to him? All right, yeah. Like, we just forget that he's in the room and we almost ignore him. When in fact, he's present, he's not going anywhere. And if we decide to move beyond the front door recesses of the entryway and go into deeper relationship, all of a sudden this Holy Spirit begins to come over our lives and take hold of the reins of our lives and you begin to see people different. You begin to love people different. 
the affections you once had for this world all of a sudden begin to dissipate and begin to disappear. You know, the things I once loved, I don't quite love those things anymore. In fact, I, I love these things more. The things of God all of a sudden become that much more attractive. You know why? Because I am allowing the Holy Spirit to play the role in my life that he was always meant to play in the life of the believer. He's supposed to lead us. He's supposed to guide us. He's supposed to give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. See, the Spirit of God is the only way of taking the information about God and translating it into relationship with God. Did you catch that? Like, God puts the Holy Spirit in you. So as we see this truth, begin to pour out the knowledge that it offers, the truth that it offers through, and I don't know how in every way it happens, he takes these words, he takes this truth, and he begins to transform it into the relationship that you and I were meant to be in from the beginning of time. You begin to, oh, wow, he really does love me. I'm really not alone. Oh, my goodness, wow. Um, I didn't think I could make it through that. I didn't think that, that after this loss, I'd be, be able to take another step all of a sudden, the presence of God is all over you. And he's filling every part of your body. And he's saying, I've got you. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. It makes me think of the, uh, um, when you have kids, you watch all kinds of Disney movies, right? There's all kinds of Pixar movies and stuff like that. Well, if, if you've ever seen the movie, The Croods, okay? Croods, it's, uh, it's the, Nicolas Cage is the voice of the main guy. Right? Anyway, um, Anyway, uh, this movie is about uh, these cavemen, these cave people. And uh, they, uh, what they do is, is they, uh, they kind of, the movie starts out and they are going out and they're finding food. And they find food. They release the baby and uh, they go and they, they, get this, they get the food and they come back and they eat it. And then they go into the cave and they, this cave and they lock themselves in and there's like, this is our world. And every day, they believe that the existence of their life is going out, getting a couple things that they need, but then coming back to where they believe it's safe. And I'm just going to be safe, and this is how I'm going to live out the rest of my life. But then, all of a sudden, an external third party shows up one day, and his name is Guy. Guy shows up. And I'm telling you, the dad hates Guy, hates him. And you know what? Guy is there and he's present and he's hanging around and he's starting to have, have an effect on everyone else because Guy's going, this is all you do. You just go, you eat, and then you come back to your little safe domain and this is where, this is where your world is. And, and they're like, yes, it's safe. It's predictable. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to live. And, and, and Guy goes, there's so much more if we go to the light. Like if you just if you just take a risk, go beyond these this safe what you call call safe this entryway level of living, and you head towards the light. I promise you, there's living. See, unbeknownst to them, if you remember the movie, they were actually in danger and they didn't even know it. 
And it took them actually heading towards the light before they finally realized, wow, abundant living is in the light. It's not here. And I just, I, I just look at that and I'm going, how often do we just hang out with Christianity where it's safe and it's predictable and it's easy and it's, it's, it's tangible? I just, I like to, okay, I go to church on Sunday and I do this and I do a little bit of this, but that, that I, can, I can handle that. And, and Jesus is going, just please just take a step in. Please just come in a little bit closer. I'm inviting you. I mean, yes, I've rescued you, but, but you want to talk about abundant living? Like, I, didn't, I don't want to be just a live-in roommate with my wife at the end of life. That's not my goal. I want an abundant marriage. I want an abundant marriage where I look forward to coming home every day as much as I do today. Like, she's my favorite person on earth. And I look forward to going home. Everyone is second fiddle to her. And you know what? That's the way it should be. When it comes to Jesus, everyone should be second fiddle. Everything should be second fiddle because the depth of relationship, the intimacy that our soul longs for, requires, is found in Jesus himself. And he says, come. Come on, stop, stop, don't start, don't stop there. Hey, there's a living room, let's sit down. Let's have some, let's just have some, in, let's have you and I, let's have couch time. Let's just be face to face. Let's start crying together. Let's start walking together. Let's start living life together. I promise you that is abundant life. And you know what? The world can fall apart. I will stand because I'm in the deep recesses and deep intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's got everything about me. He got, he's got me. He goes on to say, he says, I don't want you to just nurture this relationship with this spirit as you should, but I also want you, uh, my prayer is that you, oh, that God opens the eyes of your heart. Look at, look at, look at this. This is incredible. He goes, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope, or actually in a different version, it says true hope he has given you. Meaning you and I don't have the illumination to the eyes of our heart. And yes, there are eyes on our heart. And when we come to know Christ, when we are now in Christ because of Jesus, guess what? All of a sudden those eyes finally become open. It's like a newborn baby. They're struggling to focus. They're trying to, to, to maintain eye contact with, with somebody or something. All they can see initially is light and it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's different than what they were experienced. And so then they get invited into seeing the world and they begin to see things. And what Paul is praying for is he goes, you're still seeing not the whole picture. You and I need to have our, the, the eyes of our heart illuminated so that you can begin to see the world as you should. That you can begin to understand Christ and this relationship that he is inviting us into. See, the journey 
is part of the pilgrimage into deeper understanding, deeper relationship, holy living designed to be discovered and found in the heart of every believer. See, you're wondering why you don't still have hope. See, many of you, I think in here, know Christ as Lord and Savior, or those who are online. And you're like, wow, this, I thought it was going to be different because I feel, still feel hope. You know why? Because the eyes of your heart have still never been opened. Like there's still, there's still a lack of illumination. That's why Paul is going, I pray that the Holy Spirit floods you with light, that you can begin to see all that God is and all that he's done for you and for me. When you have that kind of illumination, from the Holy Spirit and from God's word speaking to you on a daily basis, guess what? All of a sudden, you're no longer hopeless or hopeful. You begin to understand that, that oh my goodness, I, like the world can fall. Like if you go on the news today, there's a lot of things that you can become hopeless about. It's just true. Our world is ever moving in a direction that is globally discouraging. But guess what? Beyond the doorway of the gospel, when your eyes, the eyes of your heart are opened and you begin to see who's in that room with you, I don't have to worry about what the world holds. I don't have to fear about what the world is going to throw my way. Because I know, like Paul, to live is actually with Christ in his presence. You want to kill me? I get to be in glory. You lose. He wins. I get him. So do you see how sometimes Christians are the most frustrating people on the planet? We get the best of both worlds. Problem is, is we just don't live like that world starts today. We think it starts at the end of life. Abundant living can start right now. Stop thinking that it's at the end of life, at your last breath. I can live in abundant living right now, a hopeful life. Verse 19, and 20, verse 19 through 23. It's not only that the spirit matters. Paul continues on. He's like, I'm praying not only that you have illuminated a lot, um, eyesight, not only that you have the spirit of wisdom in your life and and how incredibly hopeful in the insight that it offers, but I also want you to understand that there is a presence of power that we're invited into. Look at verse 19. It says this, I also pray, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. You know what that tells me? It tells me that you and I don't understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Even though we know him, there's still a journey of knowing him. 
there's still a journey and a pilgrimage of becoming more like him. A journey of going, it seems dim, but the closer I get to him, the brighter it becomes. All of a sudden, I, I feel weakness, but the, the, the more I kind of pull into this relationship, the stronger he becomes in my life. Do you see how there's this journey? It's not that it's absent in my life. It's that the fact that I still don't believe it. I still don't receive it. And God's going, it's available to you. It's in the house. Come beyond the doorsteps of the gospel and begin to discover what it is and what it can be in your life. So there's a direct correlation between how we see God and how we grow in light of how big God is in our life and how strong his power is. If we see God as small, if we see God as powerless, then guess what? You're going to continue to run and experience a relationship with God that seems powerless, that seems small, that seems hopeless. But the bigger, and this is why Paul's praying, the bigger the power of God can be seen in your life, the bigger that God can become in your life, the more solidly firm that we begin to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The firmer we begin to be unmoved when the trials and the, and the difficulties of this world come barraging at us, hitting us one wave after another, after another, after another, we can still stand despite how many attacks begin to come our way. No matter how many discouragements begin to be thrown at us, the presence of God, and then he unpacks what the presence and the, excuse me, the power of God actually is. He goes, this is the same mighty power. He, he goes, let me define it for you. It's the same power that God, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, I don't know about you, there's no other power in existence that can raise anything or anybody from the dead but God's. And that power is not distant. It is not absent from your relationship with Jesus. You've just never grabbed hold of it. You've just continued to realize, oh, it's in the house. That's a, that's a lot of power. We don't do anything with it. God's going, I've given you life and I'm trying to give it to you more abundantly, which means stop living defeated and start living powerful because of who Jesus is in your life. The Holy Spirit is present and he offers a power that far surpasses ours. It's a, an incredible power that rose, that, that raised Jesus from the dead. And if you look at John chapter one, it talks about there's how that actually includes the power of creation. The power of creation in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes on to talk about nothing was created without Jesus. He is the creator of all the universe. He is the uncaused cause. He is, he is the one that started it all. He has all that power and authority. He also has the power of life and death, heaven and hell. Revelations 1.18 says this, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive 
I am alive forever and ever. And guess what? I hold some keys and they're to life and death. They're to heaven and hell. Nothing happens without my say-so, without my authority, without my power. The adversary has nothing to throw at you that the victory and the power of Jesus Christ cannot overcome, will not overcome if we just begin to believe it and claim it in our own lives. I'm so thankful. This should be the biggest encouragement to every believer in this room that this is abundant living is on the inside of this house. It also says that the power of ultimate authority rests with him. Above every leader, above every authority, above every leader. Do you realize that the greatest form of government, and I'm not gonna go on politics, but the greatest form of government is actually a monarchy. It's actually a monarchy. You know why? Because at the end of life, Jesus sets up a throne room here and he rules and we get to sit underneath him for eternity. He's the monarch. The problem, the reason why monarchs in, in our world hasn't worked because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Just turn on the news. Power in the wrong hands, too much power in the wrong hands will lead to really bad things, but all the power in the right hands of God will always turn out for your benefit and it'll always turn out for his glory. See, he's already in control. He's already authoritative. He already is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is above every leader, every authority. And I love how, how sometimes these leaders in all these different parts of the world are saying, uh, you can't do this and I'm this and I will I'll roll over top of you. I just sometimes, honestly, I want to laugh and I will look at them and I say, you have no authority but that which has been given to you by my King, by my Savior and my Lord. You, you don't, I don't fear you. I don't fear the one that can destroy the body. I fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul. And that's not you. I can stand confidently. You can stand confidently no matter the trials that come our way. John 3 verses 31 through 36 says this, and I love this. It's a story where Jesus is, or excuse me, where John the Baptist is interacting with his disciples. And the disciples are getting frustrated. You know what they're getting frustrated about? That all the people are going over to the other side of the river where Jesus is. They're like, John, we used to baptize, you know, at least 17 people a day. And, you know, they're not coming to us. Like, they're going to they're gonna take people from our church and stuff. Just saying. And John goes, you joking? Like, let, let me remind you, the win is not people coming into our little empire. The win is people going across the Jordan River to be with Jesus. That's the win. And just to remind you about who we're talking about, let me give you a picture. He goes on in verse 31. He, Jesus, yeah, he's come from above. He's greater than anyone else. Let's just start there. We are from the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he, He's come from heaven. He's greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few 
believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit, I love this, without limit. It's like the, the black American express, you can charge whatever, okay? Limitless credit line. He goes, he has the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands, just in case you forgot. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's anger, angry judgment. I think we forget about really who Jesus is. He's all powerful. It says the same power that raised Christ, raised Christ from the dead, power to create, power to heals the keys to heaven and hell, life and death. He does. We don't. He has all authority. And then the last part of verse 23 is this, he completes you. I love this last part as we kind of close. He completes you. He says, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by what? By Christ. Can I just say that everyone sitting here this morning or those online, you're not an accident. I just, I was impressed last, last hour and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say the same thing this hour because I think you need to hear it and I don't want you to try to figure this out. I just want you to hear what the words of God Almighty is saying to you right now. You're not an accident. You're complete. You're not an oops. You're not a mistake. You're finished. He made you just the way you are. He made you male. He made you female. That is not an accident, but intentional. He made you just the way you are. He wired you just the way you are. You are complete, not because of your own efforts, not because of the self-help book that you're reading this week, but because of who Jesus is in your life or wants to be in your life. This is, this is the call, not just to the doorstep of the gospel, but this is a call to say, son, daughter, I, I just, I want you to have all of me that you want. I want you to, I want you to realize that these hands weren't just pierced to be hung on a cross. These hands and these arms were also made to hold me and to call you into deeper waters. It's an invitation to say, I don't want you to stay where you are. I want you to understand that everything, everything as a child, as an heir of the king is bestowed to you. Don't spend your years looking for something that's already in your possession. 
It's already present in your life. Don't spin your wheels doing that. Jesus is here. He's present and he loves you. And he's pouring his life out for you and into you. And he's making you more than you ever thought. Don't hang out by the shores of life, like the beach, when there's deep waters to explore. There was a movie a couple years ago, several years ago, called Gattaca. Some of you might have saw it. And it's about two brothers. It takes place somewhere in this dis distant future. And one was naturally born. The other was gen genetically superior because they have the technology in that, in that futuristic age to create a genetically superior individual. Vincent was the naturally born one. Anton was the genetically superior one. And the two of them would always compete. And Anton seemed to always beat out his older brother, Vincent. No matter what Vincent did, Anton always excelled. He was always smarter. He was always faster. He was always stronger. He was always more successful in everything that he did. And one of the competitions that they would engage in every single time is they would swim out in the ocean. They'd start at the shoreline and they would compete to see how far you could go out without before turning around. And so the two would go out and Anton every single time beat out his brother Vincent before Vincent would turn around and go back. It was the last time they decided to compete. Vincent said, I want to compete. So they got out in the water and they, they swam. And you know what? They swam. And all of a sudden, Anton said, could barely see the shoreline. He's like, Vincent, we're so far out. We need to turn around. And, and Vincent just kept swimming, just kept swimming. And so Anton and his strength and his speed would catch up to his brother. And then, then all of a sudden turn around and he'd go, those, we can barely see the shoreline. And, 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 and Vincent's like, hey, we're closer to the other side. And Anton's looking at the horizon. He's like, what? And Vincent just keeps swimming, keeps swimming. And, and finally Anton decides to turn around, but he doesn't have the strength and he begins to, to literally go underwater. And so Vincent all of a sudden sees that, turns around, grabs his brother, brings, swims him all the way back to the shoreline. Years later, Vincent and Anton are having a conversation. And Anton goes, how did you beat me? How did you beat me? How did you do it? And he said, the only way I could beat you was because I didn't save anything for the swim back. Can I encourage us to not save anything for the swim back? There's nothing for us back here. There's nothing. All that waits us is the deep waters of relationship, the deep waters of power and authority that's been bestowed to all of us. Go as deep as possibly as you can in the deep recesses of Jesus Christ and his heart and his embrace. And I promise you, you know what you find there? Abundant life you'll find abundant life. It awaits every single one who moved from being in the world to being in Christ.